How are your Christmas preparations going? Good. How many, we just put Christmas lights up yesterday. How many have their trees? How many do not yet have their trees? A couple of you, okay, that's all right. Uh, how many have, have done baking so far? All right, very good. Uh, anyone, anyone really far ahead and have their Christmas gifts already? Oh, wow, wow. Okay, it's only, what, December 10th? Yeah, December 10th, we got time. We got two weeks. So, what other preparations are there that need to be done around this time of year? What are the other preparations that we've got to do? We've got gifts, we've got the, the decorations, we've got baking. Corinne, what do we got? We need food, yes. Copious amounts of food that have high caloric content. Chris, what? Christmas cards. Yes, we have started getting some of those. We are in good fashion. Our Christmas cards usually come out after the first of the year. You know, we want people to know that we still care about them after Christmas. What else do we prepare around this time of year? There's quite a bit that we've talked about here. All right, Hearts Church. Corinne, one more. New ugly Christmas sweaters. Yes, there we go. Yeah, I, and it's funny because I wonder, uh, Dara mentions the heart, and I, I wonder how many of us, when we get asked, uh, I know I've been asked a number of times, and, and people know that, uh, who know that I'm a pastor I always ask this kind of with a half-cocked smile. I say, are you ready for Christmas? And, uh, you know, a lot of what they're talking about are the, the preparations that we make. You know, the preparations uh, uh, for our house. Um, the preparations of meals and Christmas cards and, and, and the shopping that has to be done and the, all of those different things. I think when we ask that question, those are the things that we're concerned about. I think very rarely when we ask the question, are you ready for Christmas, very rarely are we asking a spiritual question. I think that's a, that's a question that gets overlooked. It's a question that the the church is, has in some ways forgotten. When we say, are you ready, we aren't asking the question, are you ready for the coming of God into our world? And I think even if we were asked that question, we would struggle to know how to do that. But that's, that's what we're going to talk about in today's text. Today we're going to be in Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. So let me invite you to get your Bibles out and turn to Isaiah. Isaiah is the largest book of prophecy. And so if you just kind of open to the middle of the Bible and then uh, go a few pages uh, to the right, uh, you'll find Isaiah there, uh, right before Jeremiah, after Psalms and Proverbs and so on. But we're going to talk about the fact, uh, uh, we're going to talk about preparing for Christmas through this passage. We discussed in Sunday school that even though this is an Old Testament passage, there is a lot of discussion about Jesus here. There's a lot of discussion about the things that we will only see in, in concrete ways in the New Testament, and yet it's there. And so the question that I want us to consider as we are reading this passage is how are you preparing for Christmas? A lot of times I have a main idea as a statement, 
But today I want it to be that question, how are you preparing for Christmas? So hear God's word now as I share it with you from Isaiah chapter 40. He writes, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, Go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. (coughs) See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your goodness. We give you thanks for your word which instructs us and gives us the guidance that we need to live in this world in a way that that connects us with you and with one another. Lord, we pray that now we would hear the, the words of comfort and the, and the words of peace that you speak to us through your prophet Isaiah. And we ask that you would show us the way that we can prepare to receive you. We give you thanks that you do this. We ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts through Christ Jesus. Strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty a vapor in the wind. But you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have talked pretty extensively in the past few weeks about the ways that the people of God failed to be the people of God. Excuse me for just a second here. I am suffering from the December blah that has inhabited everyone's vocal cords, so we'll all get through this together. Um, We have been talking about the way that the people of God have not been the people of God. There is a long history of the people of God being disobedient to God. 
And, and we have talked about this, and I talked last week about the fact that it, it was getting depressing to preach about this. I'm like, how am I going to say this again? How, how do we talk week after week about the ways that we have failed without talking about the ways of hope? And finally, we are coming into Advent, <clears throat> and we are coming into the time of preparation. I don't know if you know this, but the, the liturgical color, that is the color the church assigns to Advent is purple. Now purple, other than just kind of being really, really pretty, um, symbolizes in the church repentance. You go, oh, wait a minute. What, what, does, what does that have to do with the joy of Christmas and the, the wonderful brightness of the holiday? But it, it, but it is a time of preparation. It's a time where we prepare our hearts by repentance and we, per, when we become a bit more introspective. We prepare for the coming of God. That is the purpose of the Advent season. Not just the decorations, not just the, the, the pretty lights outside, although we got a chance to drive through uh, town a little bit yesterday and saw wonderful. Frosty seems to be very popular this year. But we recognize in a deep way that there is a disconnect between the world that God created and the world, the, the world as God wanted it to be and the world that we have. As much as we have, you know, the, the beauty of houses just decked out like the Griswolds and, and how that brings us joy and happiness and how we wish we could see, not yet maybe, but some snow to cover that. Because we like to see the way that the snow covers the death and decay of late fall and makes it a beautiful winter landscape. But there is, there's a disconnect between that beauty and what we see in the world. Typically, as I am fixing dinner in the evenings, I, I have a, a TV in my kitchen that I watch just kind of intermittently as I am doing things. I, I like to joke that, that I have to have something on to occupy that part of my brain that says I'm bored. And so throughout seminary, I watched a baseball game. I got a Master of Divinity with a baseball game on in the background, and I fixed dinner with the TV playing in the background. And, and as I had the TV on to uh, WPXI this week, I, I, Cameron came into the, the kitchen where I was working and he stood in front of the TV and looked at it and it was, it was the evening news and he watched it for about 15 seconds before he said they're talking about some really awful stuff I don't, I'm not going to watch it anymore it's amazing how quickly we recognize that there is a disconnect between the way, that we, the way we think the world should be let alone the way that God created it and the way the world is you recognize that disconnect during Advent. And we recognize that there, there needs to be something that is done. You know, this passage is interesting because it comes on the heels of that brokenness. We talked about that actually in Sunday school. In Isaiah 39, King Hezekiah is, is emblematic of the way that we think of the world. We just want to kind of get the world good enough in our own little sphere at times. 
Isaiah has a judgment pronounced on him for looking to the foreign nations, to looking to Babylon. And God says that, that there's going to come a time where everything in the palace, everything that the kings of Judah have stored up, is going to be taken away and taken to some foreign land because they are trusting in the foreign countries rather than in God. And Hezekiah replies to Isaiah in this judgment. He says, The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security in my lifetime. There's a disconnect. As long as things are good in in my life, and as long as things are okay in my life, we can overlook. And yet, the very next word after there will be peace and security in my lifetime is comfort. Comfort, my people. God's trustworthiness doesn't end with our disobedience. God's trustworthiness doesn't end with our disobedience. God wants to enter into our lives to bring comfort. That those words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's very interesting that we go from Hezekiah's very selfish thought of as long as things are okay in my lifetime to words of comfort that God is pronouncing to all people that, that he wants to, to enter into our lives and to offer tenderness and to offer mercy and to offer peace. So often we think if God showed up at our doorstep that that would be the end of it all. That, oh man, if Jesus saw me on the road, I would be smited. Or if he saw the way that I thought about my my relatives, or if he saw the way that I was, I was, I was harboring bitter thoughts about this, or the, the way I'm just not joyful, man, I would be over and done with. And yet, even in the midst of King Hezekiah not hearing judgment and saying, it'll be all good for me, God pronounces comfort and pronounces that he wants to come into our lives. He, he, he totally ignores our thoughts that, oh, God could never love me. And he says, I, I, I don't care what you think because I want to come and I want to offer peace and I want to offer comfort into your life. It's not the way we traditionally think of God, but it's the way that God reveals himself to us in Scripture. And even in that, there's a bit of mercy too. It's hard to hear, unless you know Babylonian law real well, which I'm going to guess that we don't. <clears throat> we, we look at verse 2 and we say, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And we're like, ooh, double, man. Good thing I don't get double, that'd be bad. But here's the thing that is set in the context of law codes that said if, if someone steals from a poor person, you need to pay back ten times the amount. And if you steal from, from royalty, you need to pay back thirty times the amount. That's the context of this. And yet, 
God says, I've limited it double. We're going to be done with it. Two times is far more than enough. And in this, in this understanding, we see that God comes not just with comfort, but with mercy as well. Comfort. Comfort my people. We can think about that and say, that's what I want. I would love to have that comfort in my life. I would love to have that peace in my life. I have to be honest. Um, I used to, you know, we, we joked a, a couple weeks ago at the children's sermon that I would play Christmas music all year long if I could. And I do. Let, let me be honest about that. Charlie Brown Christmas is never far from my playlist button. But I have to be honest with you. I'm like so many of you that have experienced pain and grief and loss. I used to be the one who, who decorated not just my mom's house, but my grandmother's house at Christmas time. I can put up lights with the best of them. But I'll tell you what, five years ago, when mom passed, I found that I didn't like putting up lights anymore. I didn't like putting up the decorations anymore. I found that it was painful. I found that there were too many empty chairs around the table at this time of year. So many of us have experienced that where we wonder, what? I, I wish I could have that comfort. I wish I could have that peace because at this time of year, all it does is it reminds me of the pain and the loss. It reminds me of empty chairs at the table. It reminds me of the ghost of Christmas's past. Christmas has gone by where there were, there were, there were lights and food and laughter and people and, and there, too many of them are gone. How is it that I can get this comfort and get this peace? It doesn't have anything to do with the lights. It doesn't have anything to do with, with the food preparations. It doesn't have anything to do with the atmosphere that we create. We've, we've pinned our Christmas experience on the temporal. We've pinned our Christmas experience on, on the things that we know, and yet, yet here we have Isaiah that says, all people are like grass. The wind blows and the, and the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And the joy of Christmas comes not from those things that we manufacture or create, those things that we, that we rely on with, with people or with things, but it comes in receiving God because it's God who wants to come to us. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. God says in this passage, in essence, I know that you can't do it. You were shipped off to a foreign land. You were exiled. You were taken from your from your your home territory and you were put somewhere else and now everything you know to be safe and secure and joyful is gone. Those things are all past. I think we can identify with people of, of Judah who were exiled because we say, you know, I remember those days gone by and they're gone. They have been exiled to the past 
as people and places and events have gone and are no longer anymore. But yet God says not that he's going to bring those things back, but he says, in the desert, prepare a way for your God because I am going to come back to you. I am going to restore the relationship. I am going to come into your life. You are not looking to come into mine anymore, but I am going to invade your existence. And I'm going to enter into your world. Prepare the way for the Lord. How do we do that? How can we prepare to receive God? You know, it's funny because we might initially think, well, all right, so if I throw a couple extra bucks in the collection plate, maybe if I come to church this time of year, worship is what uh, it is. If I come to worship uh, this time of year, maybe if, um, if I, I attempt to, to pray once or twice, but what are we actually talking about? We need to talk about what that preparation looks like because it could, we could stop right here and say, that's great, God wants to come into our lives, but we need to know what that looks like to be ready for God. It's not saying I'm going to be more patient in the checkout line, although that doesn't hurt. What is God looking for? Throughout the history of the people of Israel and the people of Judah, and continuing on into the New Testament, God is looking for some characteristic qualities, some attitudes that show we are ready to receive him. It, it's kind of like a cleaning out, sort of like if you have an attic or a, uh, or a basement or both, like I do, that you can't get through very well, and you've got to take things out in order to put other things in. And how do we do that? Well, I've based this loosely on the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. Because Jesus talks a lot about how we can be ready for God's presence in our lives. Do we suffer from pride? Do we suffer from closed hands? Do we think that we have it all together? Perhaps we're, we're someone, uh, if we have gone through this sermon, if we think, of someone else first, or if we go through any sermon and we think of someone else first, we're like, you know, I know someone who could really use this sermon. Chances are we have a bit of that pride. Perhaps we have a bit of that close-handedness where we think we have everything together. And Jesus wants us to empty of ourselves of that pride because what help is God coming into our lives going to be if the first thing that we do is to point God to someone else? I intended, sorry, Craig, I wasn't, I was hoping that was a clear way. <laughs> I was trying to be very careful about that. I know how. But we want to, to see if there is pride in our lives, if if, if we point the finger too quickly, if we're, if we're concerned about the way that other people are acting, but we think we have it all together. Do we have 
an, an attitude that shows that we are just angry about everything because nothing is quite the way we want it. As we go through, pre- uh, as we go through the preparations of Christmas, some people can get more and more frustrated the more and more things they check off their list. Sorry if that's one of you, if you're one of those people. But they get more and more upset because more and more things need to be done and they're not done quite the way I want them and they're not done the, the, the way that, that I think they ought to be and someone else did this, this part of my checklist and it's just a mess and now I have to do double. And, and why can't people just do things the way that I want them? We have that anger or we have that victimhood. or You know, it's... It, people could just do this and it closes off our heart perhaps we're overly comfortable perhaps we are in a position where we say you know what I'm okay actually I've got a good thing going here and I don't want anyone to mess with it you get into a groove Writers especially know this. You get into a groove and you just don't want anyone to enter the door, let alone God. And you think, I'm just okay. Let's just keep riding this out. It's a good ride. And that closes us off to a God who, yes, may offer, may, may inflict some discomfort into our lives, but gives us comfort and peace in a way that that we couldn't possibly understand because the comforts of this world are just a foretaste just a just a, a crumb on the floor compared to the feast above that God has prepared perhaps we are apathetic and we can be apathetic in a number of ways perhaps we are apathetic to the pain of others and we just think you know like hezekiah so long as there is peace in my time i am okay with it all or we are apathetic to the pain of the world we are closed off to seeing the brokenness of the world that we see the news and we we say i'm glad it's not happening here We have closed ourselves off to the pain of this world because the reality is that the things of this world that are broken and, and awful bring pain to the heart of God as well. God is not unfeeling to our situation, but desires deeply for all things to be renewed. Or we're apathetic to sin. We think as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, it's not a problem. Theologian uh, David Wells reminds us that worldliness is that which makes sin look normal in any age. Worldliness is that which makes sin look normal in any age. It makes us indifferent to sin. We think it's an ancient concept that we just need to throw off and you know what, we'd be all, all be a lot better without it and yet and the more we try, the less happy we are. And so rather than reckon with it, we try to become apathetic to it and yet sin concerns God so very much. We, we can harp on this side of it, but let me sum it up 
in this way, in a positive sense, what is it that, that helps us to prepare for the coming of God in our lives? David puts it best in the Psalms, a broken and contrite heart. A heart that is, that is open enough to feel the pain of the world and yet not so hard uh, that it can't feel anything at all. Or not so jaded that it can't feel anything at all. God wants an openness in our he does He knows that we're not going to get everything together. The history of the people of God shows that we can have thousands of years and we will never get it together. And the comfort of this passage is that we don't have to, that God desires to come in. We have to make the room, though, for that. You know, our houses don't have to be perfect at this time of year, but if there's junk on the couch when we have people come over, they have nowhere to sit, right? It sends the message, I'm glad you're here, but don't stay too long. In the, on the metaphorical couch of our heart, are we telling God, I don't want you to stay too long? Or can we make those preparations? Preparations in our heart that allow us to receive the good news of Jesus Christ during this season. That God came to save sinners, of which I am the worst, as I quote the Apostle Paul there. Jesus Christ came to show redemption, came to show comfort, came to show hope to a world that desperately needs it. What are you doing to prepare for this Christmas? Prep the home. Do the baking. Get the ugly Christmas sweater. But look after your heart as well. And prepare to receive the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners and has come to offer you and I in this broken world comfort. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. And Lord, help us this week to make, start making those preparations, if we have not already, to start making those preparations for your coming. Help us to, to reflect and to look into our hearts and see what it is that prevents us from opening ourselves up to you. And help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to move those things away so that we can say, come Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you don't require us to be perfect before coming to you. Thank you that we don't have to come to you at all, but you promise you are coming to us. Help us to know that, that peace. Help us to know that good news each and every day of our lives. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.